Well, good to see you all here this morning. Um, a couple things before, before I get into this. Uh, I just felt uh, during worship that I wanted to share with you how, how grateful I am uh, for Ryan and for the way he's preaching through Corinthians. It's really been uplifting and enlightening to me, and I'm really grateful for it and grateful for his partnership and his friendship. Last week, uh, I, if you were here, I had a passage that I didn't like and I didn't want to preach, and uh, I did it anyway. Uh, and this week is a different story. It's kind of like I, I was thinking this uh, morning uh, about an analogy for that. And when I was a little kid, I did live in Denver for a little while when I was about five years old. And one day I went out to my front yard in this little house. We lived in Lakewood. And there was a, a, a tree a tree there. And I decided I was going to climb it uh, by myself. I just went out there and started climbing that tree. And I climbed up the tree. And uh, I got pretty far up in the tree. And then uh, I slipped. And... As I, when I slipped, I hit the branch below me, and then I fell over that and hit the next branch, and then I hit the next branch, and I kept doing that. It was like those cartoons, actually. And I came, and the last branch before the ground, I actually straddle, hit straddled like this, and then my body spun off the branch, and I landed on my back on the ground. And I lost my breath. Last week's passage was very much like that for me. <laughs> and uh, I sure I, when I was studying that and, and preaching, I, I hit every branch on the way down. But uh, this week's passage to me is more like uh, rock climbing. It's also a difficult passage, but I feel prepared for it. I feel like I've got my chalk bag, I've got my shoes on and I, I've got somebody belaying me with the rope and I've, I'm able to, to try this climb out and I've been up it before and I know the holds and I've got encouragement from below. And so that's, that's what this week's passage feels like to me. So hopefully uh, they come out differently in preaching. But I'm grateful for all the passages in the scripture, just like some more than others. So let's pray and then we'll read the scripture for this morning. Lord, I pray that the meditations of our minds and our hearts and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight this morning. For you are always our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles, please uh, turn to uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The, the, the scripture will also be on the screen. We're in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to read from 17 to 34. It's pretty lengthy, but I, I like the way it comes out if we read it as a chunk and then talk about it. Listen for the word of the Lord. Of course, I'm not at the right passage. 
Okay. There we go. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, is it, the, is it, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why among, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way, by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you Further directions. This is a big passage about, again, about worship. Last week we looked at worship 
about head covering your head or not covering your head, and we talked about prayer and prophecy. This week, Paul is centering in on the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. Paul is not too happy with the church because he's heard there's divisions in the church. People are divided. People have different ideas about how you should do communion. People have different ideas about how church should be, how worship should function. People have different ideas about who to follow, whether you should follow Paul or Cephas or somebody else. Everybody has their own ideas about things. And so the church is fairly divided in Corinth. Even though they get together, it's like they're not getting together. Paul is basically asking them one question. Are you getting together for better or worse? For better or for worse? Which way are you getting together as the body of Christ? He also is not too happy with the way the Corinthians are focusing on themselves. All through this letter to 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, yes, you're free but you're not free to just focus on whatever you want, whatever you think, however you want to be in the body of Christ. You're free to lay down your life for others. You're free to focus on the common good of the church. And the Corinthians are very much focusing on what can I do? How can I be? I want to run the life, my life the way I want. I want to have Whoever in my life I want, I want to do what I want to do. So the Corinthians have really got personal freedom down. But they don't understand a bit about unity and the common good. So Paul says you take, they take it so far, they take this individualism so far, and this division so far that they actually end up despising the church they're in without knowing it. And they actually end up humiliating other members of the body of Christ. Humiliation and despising. This is not new. Paul knows his Old Testament. Paul knows the scriptures. This has happened before. There's many passages in the prophets where the prophets are quoting God. And God says, you know what? I don't like your worship services anymore. Your new moons, your celebrations, I don't like them. Because you're treating each other wrongly. You're not just. You're not caring for the poor. You're not supporting the widow and the orphan. I don't even want to hear your services anymore. Another other prophets say, you know, God says, you know, you come to me with your lips and you say the right words and you do all the right things outside, but I want your heart. I want to change your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Let justice roll down like waters. Make your worship services worthwhile by the way you treat each other in the body and outside of the body. So Paul, in this matter, turns to Jesus. And I love this because I'm, 
preachers are usually find their home somewhere in, in the scriptures. And my home is the Gospels. You know, that's where I would always like to live, in the Gospels. I'm not big Pauline letter kind of guy. So if Paul says Jesus, I jump immediately. I'm going to jump into the Gospels. And, and, and other places. Um, so Paul talks about Jesus. And he says, this is what I handed down to you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took the bread. He broke it. He gave thanks. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you're a Jew in that time, if you're a Jew, and, Jesus, and Paul says, remember, man, your antenna go up. Because remembering is one of the major themes of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Bible. Remembering is a major theme of the Old Testament. It is one of the top ten theological words, I would say, in the Old Testament. If you think back, some of the key, key passages in the Old Testament... Remember when God said to Noah, build an ark and put all the animals on it and I'm going to make it rain for 40 days. Well, it was raining and raining and raining and they're floating around on this huge ark and right in the middle of the story, right in the middle of the story in Genesis, it says, and God remembered Noah. And God remembered Noah. Now, did that mean that God's sitting up in heaven and he's saying to the angels, oh, yeah, remember Noah? Oh, yeah, I remember him. Oh, yeah, do you remember him? And they're talking back and forth. No, that's not what it means. It means God acted in favor of Noah. To remember in the Old Testament means God acts in favor of Noah, of somebody else. So there's no, uh, we tend to separate things in, in, in our culture in the way we think. If we remember somebody, we can look at a picture or something and we just remember them. And that's remembering a lot of times for us. But not to the Jews, not to the Hebrews. Remembering is about acting towards someone's favor. Now there's a passage, I think it was up here, that's from Genesis 9 uh, 16. I want to read this too, because after God remembers Noah, he clears the waters and, and they, they come out of the boat. And then it says this, and this is actually God speaking in, in this passage. This is quoting God. And it, God says, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. I always thought that the, the rainbow was mostly for us. Oh, you see the rainbow in the sky. Remember how God promised never to wipe out the earth again with water? But in this passage, God is saying, the rainbow not, is not so much for you, it's for me. God looks down and he sees the rainbow and he remembers his covenant with his people. 
Remembering is crucial to the life of God's people. We're gonna, now I'll put up another passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. This passage talks about for what happens when you forget in the, with God and his covenant. It says this, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God is always talking about remembering in the story of his people because he knows what happens when his people forget. When we forget about God, then we're satisfied with our stuff. We're satisfied with our own lives. We start thinking we're responsible for our gold, our silver, our houses, our children, our families, our jobs, we are responsible. And so we get proud. I'm such a good worker. I'm such a good husband. I'm, I've made such a great plan for my life. God says, you're not remembering me. I'm the one that provides all of this stuff. This, still carry, this uh, remembering carries over to the New Testament, if you think about the day Jesus died, which we celebrate with communion, the day Jesus died, he's hanging on the cross, and the Gospels tell us there's two other people hanging on his right and his left, two thieves or murderers, two criminals, and one of the criminals who is Jewish says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, he's not asking Jesus again to think back, oh, I remember that guy that was hanging on the cross next to me. Wow, he, was, he said some good things. No, he's asking Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I want to be there with you. I want you to act in my favor. I want you to... Pull me into the kingdom. Remember me. And Jesus says, I will. You will be with me today in paradise. Jesus says, I will remember you in such a great way that you will be with me in paradise. Remembering Jesus is the heart for Paul of what communion is about, the Lord's Supper. In other places, Jesus asks us to remember him not only in the supper, but in people who are poor. In in Matthew 25, I don't have the scripture, but in Matthew 25, in the passage about the sheep and the goats, Jesus compliments the goats because he says, when I was sick, you came to me. When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Jesus wants 
the disciples and followers of Jesus to remember Jesus in the supper and to remember Jesus in the poor of the world. And if you remember, the goats are the ones that forgot to remember Jesus in the poor. So the goats may have even gone to communion, but they forgot about Jesus after they left the building. What struck me in this passage as quite interesting was the fact that Paul, in nowhere in this passage from Corinthians, talks about, think about your sins. Communion is about your, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I believe communion is about the forgiveness of sins, but for Paul in this passage, it's not. It's not about the forgiveness of sins. It's about remembering Jesus. It's about remembering his death. Paul says, when you eat and drink, you remember Christ's death until he comes. You proclaim it. So what does that mean for us? I, I guess I want to expand this into our lives. Take it from this small table here and make it bigger. I think we become what we eat. If you come to eat the body and blood of Christ, you become like Christ. You can't separate those things. This meal is about becoming like Jesus. To remember, think of this, to remember Jesus is to take and reconstitute Jesus. Re bring all the members together. Re-embody Jesus in your life, in my life. The other ways that we remember Jesus, Jesus says, if you want to remember me and my death, before he died, he said, what? If you follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Be someone who dies for others as well. That can be a pretty scary and intimidating call. But it is the call nonetheless. When we remember Jesus, we're remembering that he called us us to go to the cross like he did. What does that mean for us in our day and age? I'm going to jump back to Paul because Paul gives two examples of what, how the death of Jesus that we celebrate in this meal can change the way we live our lives. The first passage is 2 Corinthians. So this is the second letter that he's written to the Corinthians, and he's addressing some of the further questions of them. 2 Corinthians 8 9. And Paul is taking up a collection for the church of Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem is having a famine, and they are hungry, and there's issues going on because of the famine in Jerusalem. So Paul is trying to get all the churches to give money so that they can have food. 
and Paul is talking here to the Corinthian church about that. And he says, he says, I want you to give money to Jerusalem because I want you to be like Jesus. And remember Jesus, for you know, and you could actually put the word remember in there. You remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You may have never thought that communion is about giving to the poor. But Paul's saying, Jesus was God and he became poor, which means he died. He gave everything. He died so that we could become rich. And Paul's assuming that then the Corinthians and us will say, oh, now we're rich. We should die and make others rich. We should follow the way of Christ. One other passage is Philippians chapter 2. This is a very famous passage, but this is also about the death of Jesus. Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, being united with Christ in communion, if any comfort from his love, if any com common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of, as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or taken to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on the cross. Paul's saying to the Philippians, make your life about remembering the death of Jesus, that he lowered himself, he humiliated, would be the word, he humiliated himself in order to make other people sons and daughters of the kingdom. So this morning, as we come to communion, I want you to examine two words that Paul uses in the passage are, one, examine yourselves. And the other phrase that he uses is discern the body of Christ, discern the body of Christ. So usually this is where we think about our sins against God, but I really want you to focus this morning not so much on your sins, but on the way that you remember Jesus in your life. How are you remembering Jesus in the way that you live your life, in the way that you remember the poor, in the way you remember the sick, in the ways you remember those in prison?
How are you remembering Jesus? How are you mimicking Jesus as it says at the beginning of this chapter? And the second thing I want you to think about is I want you to discern the body. In our day and age, the church is so much more divided than in Palestine. Maybe we are not divided here in this church. But the way we express division in our day is if I say something this morning that you don't like, you simply could go out the door and go to the church right up the street. Who cares? That's division. That's a body divided. We have so many denominations, so many ways of doing church, so many churches in our time, in our, our country, in our world. There is so much division. I want you to discern the body. How can I, in the future, as I'm imitating Christ, how can I work toward uniting the body? How can I reach across those lines to other churches, other denominations, other Christians, even though we disagree? How can I reach across and join hands with them? I think it's something that's going to need to happen for the church to survive in the next couple hundred years. Why don't we start?